Hey fans, sorry if this is coming to you a little later than usual. It's been a crazy last few days for me personally. And in this episode, I'm essentially taking a week off of the podcast. Uh, we'll be actually be recording uh, a fun podcast later this week that'll come to you next week, God willing. Um, but we, have, as a staff, have gotten a number of requests for Michael's pastoral comments at the conclusion of the last congregational meeting. Maybe you heard them. Great. Well, listen again or pass it on to someone you know who missed the meeting. But here they are. Again, Michael's comments to the congregation from the September 20th congregational meeting. Uh, okay. I have eight things that I want to talk about, and we'll see if I can get through them in good time. A uh, couple of things just to, to let you, you know about first, you know, right off the bat. I want to make sure that everybody was aware of uh, a transition in our tenants uh, at the annex. Uh, for the last number of years, CB Northwest has been one of our main tenants, wonderful uh, tenant to have because we have such a, a warm and uh, encouraging relationship with CB Northwest. Well, in light of the financial impact of COVID on the finances of CB Northwest, they have decided to move out. Uh, and uh, in the process, they've also changed their name. So uh, I, I don't know if this will come to news uh, as news to, to some of you, particularly some of the, the longtime members of Henson who have thought of themselves as as CB Northwest, you know, pro probably for your whole adult lives, we are no longer CB Northwest. We are now CV, as in venture or victory, CV Northwest, Church Venture Northwest. Now, where has Church Venture Northwest gone? Uh, they, they've moved out. Actually, most of their staff are now working from home. They are maintaining uh, a small office in uh, Vancouver. We continue to have a really positive relationship with them. In their place, First Image has moved in, uh, into that same space uh, that uh, CB Northwest used to be. As, as you know, uh, First Image is a ministry uh, to uh, women, uh, well, men and women who are experiencing pregnancies in crisis, uh, post-abortion care, and, and also a ministry to high school students, helping them think more biblically about uh, sex and sexuality. So First Image has moved in, and we are thrilled to have them in the annex. I'm sure they'd love it if you would stop by with a mask and say hello. Uh, we also, just just quick update on the Redemption Church plant, off to a really good start. Uh, Virgil uh, sent, sent me a report. I haven't been able to talk to him this week, but uh, he sent, sent me a report along with some other folks off to a really encouraging start last Sunday. They're meeting right now as we speak. Uh, they had 50 people registered uh, and in attendance, which is about the max of what they can have in their building at the moment, with about 275 uh, views on uh, their live stream. I don't know if that's devices or views. I, he didn't specify that number, but it was a hugely encouraging number. They've also got uh, a Bible study going now on the second and fourth Thursdays. Virgil is super encouraged. Uh, I, I just want to encourage you to continue to pray. Uh, let's, let's keep praying for Redemption Church. Uh, Vir Virgil mentioned in his report so many opportunities already for evangelism and gospel work in the neighborhood, even with all the restrictions going on. So those are two uh, quick updates. 
Third, the, the question has, has come up again, and I addressed this back in April, but the question has come up again, maybe some of you have thought of, of this, about, about the Lord's Supper. When are we going to uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper again? And I just want to reiterate, uh, the elders understand, and we've been teaching here this uh, for a decade, really, and more, because this was before I got here. The Lord's Supper is a family meal. Uh, it's not a private meal. It's not an individual meal. Uh, we share one table, not many tables, because we are one body, one family. And along with all of you, we, uh, the elders, the staff, me in particular, looking forward to the day when we can celebrate the Lord's Supper again as a family, gathered around one table, sharing one loaf and one cup. But we are not there yet, needless to say. So the Lord's Supper, in the meantime, is not a meal for small groups. It's not a meal for Sunday school classes. It's not a meal for small groups of friends, even though you have Christ in common. We understand that this is a meal that God gave to the local body, the church as a whole, and it makes the church as a whole visible uh, because really this is what membership in a local church is. Membership is admission on a regular basis in good standing to the Lord's Supper. Uh, so uh, this isn't new. I'm, I'm not saying anything that's going to surprise most of you. Ten years ago, uh, the elders discontinued the practice of taking the Lord's Supper to the hospital or to shut-ins. That's much more uh, of a Roman Catholic understanding of the Lord's Supper, uh, that it's this private means of grace, uh, just you and Jesus. Um, that, that's not what we understand the Bible teaches about the Lord's Supper. The, this is not out of a lack of love, but out of a, a desire to be faithful to, to what the, the meal is, what it, the reality that it reflects. Uh, you, you see this actually even in the Old Testament. Uh, when, when we think about the covenant meal of the Old Testament, the Passover meal, if uh, you happen to be away on business, you didn't celebrate the Passover while you were away. Uh, you, you actually had to wait and celebrate the Passover one month later when you were back and able to gather uh, with your family. Well, there's a, there's a very real sense in which all of us are shut-ins right now. Uh, all of us are, are away on business. We're, we're scattered. We're not able to gather. The day is going to come uh, when, when the, the pandemic ends and we're able to gather again and rest assured that very first Sunday we will be celebrating the Lord's Supper when we can invite everybody back. I would just encourage you now, use this time. Use this time where you're functionally experiencing what you will maybe experience someday towards the end of your life, uh, unable to attend even though you'd like to. So, so, so use this time to grow in your appreciation of the Lord's Supper. And, and when we can gather again, uh, resolve to, to not neglect it anymore, uh, to, to begin to plan even your travel schedule around the first Sunday of the month so that you can actually be here and celebrate with God's people. Re related to that, fourth thing that I just want to briefly talk about is coming to church. Uh, all of you now have received uh, information from the church office. If you haven't, please let us know uh, about what cohort you belong to. You've been given a schedule of when you're going to be invited to attend for a morning or an evening service. 
uh, really out through November, uh, I want to encourage you to make every effort to attend on the Sundays that you're able, if you are at all able, and it is safe for you to do so. Uh, gathering, as we were just thinking about in terms of the Lord's Supper, is, is fundamental to what it means to be a church. The, the word church actually means assembly, not, not virtual assemble, but, but physical assembly. Uh, of course, the, the church is more than an assembly. We, we have a, a relationship with Christ and, and relationships with one another that, that are real and that exist even while we're scattered. But I think we all understand that there's something different. There's something special about that gathering. Just like with your own biological family, I, you remain family when you're scattered. But there's something special when you're all together, sitting around the dinner table, uh, maybe, maybe enjoying time together over a holiday uh, since you're not normally together. Well, so it is with the church, that the gathering, the being present with one another is essential to who we are. It's been over six months since we have been able to gather as an entire church body, and, and we're feeling it. I'm feeling it. You're feeling it. I, I think maybe some of you have heard me say this before. I'll probably keep using this analogy. But, but I liken our situation now to, to that of, of an athlete who has endured a season-ending in, injury. Not a career-ending injury, but a season-ending injury. Uh, that, that's kind of what this is like. We, we've, we've, been, we've been put on the bench. We've been, we've been sidelined, as it were. We're not able to gather all together. Putting you in cohorts and inviting you to come two out of three Sundays, once in the morning, once in the evening, is a bit like that athlete entering into rehab, right? So there's a bad injury. They just had to rest up for a while, couldn't do anything. But now rehab has begun. And as always, rehab is inconvenient. Rehab is painful. Uh, it's, it's, it, it, at times, it's not really enjoyable. Uh, I, I think attending with just a few people, maybe there's 50 people in the room, or maybe you're in the, the fourth floor with 25 people or over in the, in the, the community hall with, with roughly 50 people, uh, it's, it's not the same. You can tell it's not the same. But, but I want to encourage you to make every effort to participate in it nonetheless. It is worth it. Hebrews 10.25 tells us that we should not forsake the habit of assembling ourselves together. Well, we were, we were forced to forsake that habit for a season, and, and, and no one could gather. But that is changing. Uh, we continue to hope and pray that we will move into season, uh, season, into um, uh, phase two sooner rather than later so that we can have even more people present. We're now in that process of relearning a habit. Uh, Henson, you were marked by your habit of gathering. Uh, this, this is a church that loves to assemble, that loves to gather, and I watched this church over the last 10 years grow in its faithfulness of kind of building your life around the Sunday morning gathering. 
And, and that did become a habit, a good habit, a godly and virtuous habit for so many of us. But it doesn't take long to lose habits. And as all of you know, it's hard to get them back once we've begun to let them slide. So let's, let's give ourselves to that work. Let's make every effort. Pull out, pull out your schedule that you've been sent. Think about uh, your, your plans for this fall and arrange those plans around the Sundays that you are able to be here as we begin to develop that good habit of gathering again. I was thinking about the importance of this, especially in light of some of the things I talked about in this morning's sermon and, and the kind of partisanship and, and, and division that affects all of us. We, we, we long for, uh, to, to be around like-minded people. It's uncomfortable to be around people that disagree with us about everything. And that, that accounts for some of this great national sorting and moving uh, that, that sociologists and demographers are, are documenting. For us as Christians, that like-minded community that we want to and need to gather with is the church. And we don't have to move anywhere to get that. I, 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 don't, I don't have to go from this state to another state to find that like-minded group of people. They are part of this body. And, and we need that, that gathering. It, it's, it's as we gather that we are strengthened and encouraged. It's, it's as we gather and talk with one another that we remind one another the truths that we believe. And we are strengthened to persevere as strangers and aliens in this world. As we, as we gather together, as we confer with one another, as we speak the truth to one another, as we remind one another about the truth of God's Word, it, it reinforces God's Word in our lives, and it reinforces our identity as God's people. This impact of gathering is actually something that's kind of hardwired into human nature. Uh, sociologists and the kinds of psychologists, the kinds of people that study these things have noted that when a group of people who already agree on something get together and talk about it, that agreement is strengthened and actually in a, in a secular sense typically moves in more extreme directions. So, so a group of people who all have the same political commitment in mind, in common, when they get together and talk about that political commitment, that political commitment typically gets more extreme. Uh, there's something about us as human beings. This is why it's so important that when we gather, we gather around God's Word. We don't want to become more extreme in anything other than faith. But we do want to become more extreme in faith. We, we, we don't want to become more extreme in anything other than obedience and fidelity to God's Word and to Christ our Savior. But, oh, we want to become more extreme in that. And it is that gathering and conferring together about these things that pushes us in, in the right directions, the, the right kind of extremity that brings glory to God. So make every effort. All right, uh, Mark said that, that I was going to talk a little bit about the payroll protection plan, so let me do that for just a moment. This is the fifth thing 
uh, that I wanted to talk about. Last members meeting, we informed you that we did apply for and receive this money. Uh, we, we did not communicate a whole lot with the congregation in advance about that, uh, and, and we probably should have. And so I just want to inform you more now about, about how and why we made that decision. Uh, what, one of the things, though, that I want to just point out right at the top is that this decision, do we apply for it, do we not apply for it, uh, do we take it if we get it or, or not, what do we do with it? This is a matter of wisdom. This is not a matter of law. It's not a matter of black and, wh- black and white, thus saith the Lord, thou shalt or thou shalt not. This is a matter of wisdom. And, and I want you to trust the elders, but I also want you to understand why and how we made the decision that we made. Uh, to, to begin with, uh, we had to make a decision with the information that we had at the time. We did not have a lot of information at the time. No one had very accurate information at the time of how bad uh, the, the virus was going to be, how bad the recession was going to be, uh, how that was going to impact our congregation. We were dealing with the, the same partial and limited information that you were dealing with. But if you can recall, going back to uh, early April, all of that information was fairly dire. The other thing that we were faced with at the time was a very limited time frame within, to, within which to make the decision. So given the information that we had and the time frame that, that we had to make it in, we looked at the criteria for applying for that money. Uh, and we saw that we, did fully, we fully met the criteria. Uh, the criteria was reasonable uncertainty based on the, the economic situation that was going on. The criteria was not demonstrated loss. As, as we were looking at the situation, we realized, yep, we meet that criteria. There is a lot of uncertainty going forward about how this is going to impact us. Uh, another thing that we considered, though, is, since it was structured as a loan, uh, we did not want to be on the hook for a loan that we couldn't repay. So there were very clear terms that, that would have to be met if that loan would be forgiven. And as we looked at those terms, we were confident that we would meet those criteria, that the loan would be forgiven and we would not have to pay it back. And indeed, that is exactly what's happened. We have met those criteria and we have every expectation. The government hasn't made any decisions about anybody yet, but we have every expectation that it will be forgiven. Nevertheless, knowing that the government can change its mind at any moment, uh, we put the money in reserve so that if all of a sudden the government changed the criteria and we didn't meet it anymore, we would be able to pay it back immediately. A couple of other things that you should know about the elders. The elders have not decided in advance that all debt is wrong at all times. That is not a position we hold. Uh, It's not a position that we hold that all debt and any debt is fine. Uh, but, but we have not determined as elders that all debt is wrong, nor do we assume that the church, as the church institutionally, uh, is, is barred by the word of God from receiving some help and accommodation from government. We take advantage of help and accommodation from the government all the time, actually. We are already a 501c3. 
which is an accommodation and, and a gift from the government to charities like us. Uh, we gladly do not pay property tax on this building or the, or the annex, which is also an accommodation and a gift to us from the government. There's nothing in the federal constitution that prevents states from uh, requiring property tax of churches. We gladly accept the ministerial housing allowance as a way in which we can leverage the dollars that members give in order to pay for our staff, to, to, to make those dollars actually go further. Uh, and at least until recently, probably, I think a lot of you were also accepting similar accommodation and gift from the government in that if your income allowed, you were taking the charitable tax deduction. So, so the reality is, while we don't look to the government for our sustenance, while we don't look to the government for our provision, we do live in this world we already accept uh, as gifts, accommodations and helps from the government. And we understood that this fit into that same category of all those accommodation and gifts that we already receive. So we accepted the money when it was, uh, when we were approved. So now what? Well, we have not established uh, a hard timeline for when we will decide what to do with the money or whether or not to give it back. We are at the moment in a wait and see posture. It is possible that the worst is still ahead of us. And the, the money that we receive through the payroll protection plan is going to be gratefully received as a gift, not from the government, but ultimately from God. It's also possible that the worst is behind us, in which case we, we can give it back. There, there are even other possible things that could be done with, with that money, which I don't need to get into now, but, but the point is we're still in a position of lack of clarity moving forward. The, the uncertainty that caused us to apply for the payroll protection plan is still present. And I just wanna observe that it's precisely in situations like this that elders are needed. You know, if everything was, if everything that was important was also really clear, then we could just save all decisions for congregational meetings and have congregational votes on everything. Because a congregation the size of ours is both capable and responsible to make decisions about things that are of crucial importance and are crucially clear. Things like our statement of faith, things like bringing members in or seeing members out, things like church discipline. But it's when something is important but not clear, that elders really come into their own and show themselves to be a gift to the church. Uh, the, the elders looked at this decision. We, we 
we talked about it, we considered it, we looked at different angles, we understood that there were a lot of different factors at play and that we couldn't see everything, but that a decision would need to be made. This is why I think elders are important for the church. They are able to step in as a smaller deliberative body and give attention to matters that must be attended to, but would be very difficult to address in a committee of the whole, of the whole congregation. This is where godly leaders are able to exercise wisdom to serve the whole. Now, I'm going to come back to this again in a minute, but remember that because this is a matter of wisdom and not law, because it's a matter of wisdom and not thus saith the Lord, thou shalt or thou shalt not. We want to respect the liberty of conscience in this congregation. Some of you will think that in wisdom we should not have taken the money. Others of you will be in agreement. Yes, in wisdom you should have. Uh, Others of you will have other opinions about what to do with the money now. I, I think I speak on behalf of the elders we actually want to hear the wisdom of the congregation. We want to hear from you individually. But, but we also want to make sure that we conduct this conversation in a spirit of charity, respecting one another's conscience, understanding what it means that this is a question of wisdom. We don't want to make anything ultimate that is not ultimate. Because when we raise things that are not ultimate to an ultimate level, we begin to divide the church. Let me move on to the sixth thing that I wanted to talk about since I'm talking about elders and and the role of elders. Uh, I I am so thankful for Anthony Locke as our newest elder. Uh, The the way he has been discipling men and shepherding others and, and shepherding his own family, especially during this season. And I'm thankful for you, the congregation, and your, your trust in the elders, in, in the elders' wisdom, in the elders' nominations, even, even now, and maybe especially now, because we recognize that, that when we nominate somebody to serve as an elder or as a deacon, at this moment in time, it is more difficult for you to, to observe in the life of the church what we have observed and seen. This, again, goes back to the fact that we're not gathering. So you're not able to be around each other in the same way anymore. And so it is harder to see. It is harder to observe. Despite that difficulty, I just want to let you know that we're going to continue to nominate elders through this season. We're going to continue to nominate men like Anthony, who first meet the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. We're going to continue to nominate men like Anthony who demonstrate that they are managing their families well in in various seasons of life, especially this one. And we're going to continue to nominate men like Anthony who are reaching out beyond their own families during this season when it would be so easy to pull back in and just care for yourself and your own. These are the sort of men that we're going to continue to nominate and put in front of you as a congregation. And I recognize it's harder for you to see it. 
as a whole. Those, those of you that are impacted by a particular nominee will see it clearly. But, but those of you over here who weren't impacted by him directly, you have less opportunity to observe it from a distance. I, we, we get that. But, but if anything, we need more elders now than ever. We've, we've lost several this summer, you know, with, with Jeff taking up his new duties at Midwestern, uh, with sending three elders or former elders uh, to the Redemption Church plant. Uh, Trent Hughes, who's been serving faithfully for almost six years now, will be rotating off in the new year. So, so we've lost a number of elders, and, and yet the work, if anything, has become greater on the elders precisely because we're scattered. So I just, I just want you to know, congregation, that we take your trust very seriously. We value it highly. I, I want you to expect us to nominate elders in the, in the members' meetings ahead, some of whom have served before. They'll be very familiar to you. Some of whom have never served before, and they might not be familiar to you personally. We're going to do this because we're convinced, according to Ephesians 4, God gives gifts to his church. He never leaves his church shorthanded. He gives gifts in the form of pastors and teachers, elders, to build up the church into the unity that we are striving for in Jesus Christ. Our job as elders is to recognize those men and nominate them. Your job as congregation is to recognize uh, those men and receive them. And in that process, to promote the unity and the health of the church. If you've got any questions about this, please talk to me. Um, if you know of somebody, and you're observing somebody right now that, that you think should be serving as an elder, I'd, I'd love to hear about it. Um, we are really open uh, to the wisdom that God has shown to the entire congregation. A seventh thing that I want to speak to, and that is unity in a divisive season. Unity in a divisive season. We cannot take the unity of this church for granted, especially now when, when we're scattered all the time and it is so much easier to not trust. Uh, to, to allow doubts or, 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 or things to, to, to creep up and to get in between us because we're not seeing one another face-to-face -face so much. But particularly in a season like this one, when, when it feels to many like things are, things are crumbling in our society around us, when, when things are, are threatened, in, in that kind of season, our impulse, as human beings, is a flight to authority. We, in moments like this, tend to want strong authoritarian leaders, whether those are pastors or politicians, who speak with certainty, who have an answer for everything, and who promise the safety of sameness, shared values, shared convictions, shared goals. In that kind of context, fear causes us to crave a renewed sense of control. So we turn to authority. 
And, and honestly, if you're paying attention, I think, I think you can see this very clearly out there in the secular culture. W with the rise of authoritarian agendas and authoritarian leaders on both the left and the right politically here in America, and, and frankly, around the world. This is a, a worldwide phenomenon right now. But it's not just something that happens out there. It is something that happens in the church. When that, when that flight to authority takes place in the church, when, when fear begins to drive, what does it look like? Well, it begins to take the form of an increasingly narrow sphere for the exercise of Christian liberty. It, it, it looks like turning legitimate matters of conscience that Christians could disagree on into litmus tests for faithfulness. The authoritarian impulse for security leads us to legalism and tribalism and a spirit of judgment. It, it, it encourages people to go beyond what Scripture says and, and, and beyond what Scripture says and requires of us. And, and doing that in order to secure something which Scripture actually never promises us, which is peace and security in this world. I mean, if Jesus promised us anything, it was trouble and persecution. That's the environment we're in. It's out there, and it could so easily be in here. So how do we protect the unity of the church? Well, first... We, we have a flight to the one and only authority that is a legitimate authority, right? Our fidelity is to God's word, rightly applied, no more and no less. As, as Jesus responded uh, to Satan in, in the temptation in the wilderness, uh, in Matthew 4, verse 4, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So we take our stand on God's word, no more, no less. Second, we protect the unity of the church through respecting liberty of conscience, Christian liberty, and, and extending charity towards those who disagree with us. Remember what Paul says in Romans 14, verse 4, who are you to judge another's servant? God will judge in these matters of conscience, in these matters that are gray, where he hasn't already spoken clearly. Where God has already spoken clearly inside the church, we're to judge. But where God hasn't, we allow for liberty and we extend charity. Third, we want to pursue humility a humility that is produced by fear of the Lord, not fear of the world. A humility that's produced by fear of the Lord, not fear of them, whoever them might be. The Lord says in Isaiah 66, verse 2, I will look favorably on this kind of person, one who is humble, submissive in spirit, and trembles at my word. That's the kind of people that we want to be. These are the things that we want to pursue as we protect the unity of this church. Fidelity to God's word, no more, no less. 
liberty of conscience and charity towards those who disagree with us and humility that is produced by the right kind of fear. So when you discover someone in this church, fellow member, whose politics or, or attitude toward masks, COVID-19, or, or whose approach to, to racial justice, or whose thoughts about law enforcement is different than your own, ask yourself, is this an ultimate issue? Or something that regenerate people could reasonably and conceivably disagree on? And is my response that I'm tempted to make motivated by fear or by love? Are my words that I'm about to say calibrated for the edification of my hearer? Or are they calibrated to own the other side? Henson Baptist Church, remember who we are. We are those people who don't need anything in common other than Jesus in order to love one another. Which leads me, I think, to the last thing that I just want to say briefly, and I I realize I've gone a a, a little late. I just want to encourage you, because I think loving one another is one of the things you're best at. Uh, There is so much encouragement going on in the church right now. And again, I'm aware it's hard for you to see. But, but you see it in all of the new small groups that have started. We have begun, I don't know, eight or, eight or ten new small groups, nine new small groups, uh, and, and they're almost all full. We're going to need to be uh, forming some new small groups soon. If you haven't yet, I'd encourage you to join one. That The way you leaders, small group leaders, are stepping up in a difficult time to care for your fellow church members by opening up your home or your space, giving of your time, Bravo. We're seeing it in the new members. I mean, we just took in new members here in September. We took in new members in July. We took in, we've actually taken in new members, I think, at every single members meeting since the pandemic began. Praise God that people are finding us, even when it's so difficult. People are hearing the gospel. People are being confronted joyfully and lovingly with the good news of Jesus Christ. Another place where I've seen real evidence of this congregation's love for one another is the creativity that some of you are giving to to children's ministry. Um, So so some of you have taken upon yourselves to begin to produce some some videos for our preschoolers, uh, for for Sunday morning, a a teaching time for them. Uh, I've been hugely encouraged by the number of women who have volunteered, and actually some men as well, who have volunteered their skills and their time helping out uh, with with homeschool and virtual school needs for other families who are feeling overwhelmed. Henson Baptist Church, you're doing a great job at loving one another during difficult times. But remember, this is a marathon, not a sprint. It always was a marathon, The pandemic is just making it that much more clear to us. We have no idea when things will will change. We we don't know when we'll be able to gather again. So I want to just encourage you, keep on what you are doing. Continue to take every opportunity to connect, to encourage, to serve someone outside of your own family. There is, as we heard this morning, a time for everything. 
And God is in charge of it all. He is weaving it together. Our job is to make the most of the times that he gives us.